That's what we'll use the rest of the time. Just like faith without works is dead. You could say faith without fruit is dead. And we're going to talk about that just uh, looking at James 1 in a little bit of a different angle this morning. Starting in verse 22. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. We're going to look at verse 22. The rest of it is just, a, it's just an illustration of the point being made in verse 22. We're going to look at three phrases, just one at a time. They're all pretty straightforward. Do not merely listen to the word. That's the first phrase. Do not merely listen. Do not merely be hearers of the word. In the Bible, faith, having faith, no knowledge, um, belief, believe, those, that family of words are all used pretty much interchangeably. Noun, verb, doesn't matter. They're all used to communicate the same truth. So faith or having faith, no or knowledge, belief or believe, all of those words are used pretty much interchangeably in the Bible. If I said, I have faith that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, Savior of the world, I know Jesus is the Son of God, Savior of the world, I'm communicating the same basic thing with all of those statements. The problem is for us that what we mean with that umbrella of words is different from what the Bible means. So we hear them and what the box in our head that gets checked when we hear belief, knowledge, or faith is not the box that the biblical writers checked when they said faith, believe, and knowledge. And so we, it's easy for us to kind of get off track because we're using the same words, but we have two different meanings behind them. For where we live, we've kind of intellectualized faith and knowledge and belief. It's, it's school. It's all, it's all here in our brain. It's all mental. It's academic thinking. To say I have faith or I believe or I know, what, really what we're saying is I intellectually think these things. I give mental assent. If there's a multiple choice test and one of the questions is who is Jesus? And the answer, one of the answers is the Son of God, Savior of the world, if I darken that circle on my Scantron sheet or whatever, then I say I have faith. I believe I know. Because that's, the, that's what I checked on the multiple choice test. That has nothing to do with what the Bible means by having faith, by believing, and by knowing. Do you know the Word? That's what he's talking about. Doing the Word, not just listening. We can think we know the word because we know the little song where we can sing all 66 books and we can name the 12 disciples and we can quote a few things here and there. You could get a 100 on the Bible competency exam. That has nothing to do with what James is talking about when he says knowing the word or what, what God is saying. You can get a 100 on that test and still get a zero with the Lord. Because what he's looking for is not what's in your brain, not what do you intellectually think. What he's looking for is what's in your heart. We've said that over and over again. We live out of our hearts. And doing the word versus listening, doing the word means it's, it's formed and shaped who you are, and there's fruit. If there's no fruit, 
then there's no faith in the biblical sense. Everywhere you see the word faith in the New Testament, except in James 2. In James 2, if, if they would, this would be my suggestion, is they should use air quotes for faith in James 2. Because he's not talking about the same type of faith they are everywhere else. When Paul talks about faith, he and James, they're talking about two different things. Again, James is air quotes. It's faith, but it's faith without work. So biblically, it's not really faith at all. It's something else. It's what we've been talking about, this kind of intellectually thinking about something, getting the right answer on the test. When I was in college, my first quarter, you know, they tell you, or at least people told me, your first quarter, you don't want to take too many hard classes, all this stuff, so take a PE. I had to take two PEs, so I took racquetball. So we had this ratty gym that actually got bulldozed during my time there, and they had racquetball courts, and I was in this class with, I think there probably were a bunch of other freshmen who'd been told the same thing. And so the first week, we sat on the floor. We didn't have desks. We sat on the floor, and our instructor, I have no idea how you get to be a PE teacher in college, but that's what this guy did. No offense to any of you who might be PE teachers in college. I just, I didn't know that was a job. So my guy is teaching me PE, or teaching me racquetball. So the first week, we're on quarter system. So we got 10-week quarters, 50-minute classes. And so for the first five of those classes, it's all about the rules. Here's, here's the equipment, here's where you stand, and then how to play. Different kind of shots and different kind of serves and strategy, all that stuff. So for the first week, we just learned how to play racquetball. Then for weeks two through nine, we played every day. He just paired us up and threw us out there, and I don't know what he went and did, but he paired us up, threw us out there, and after 50 minutes, we came out. Somebody won, somebody lost. Tenth week, our last week, we had a knockout tournament, and then we had a final exam. The knockout tournament was exactly what you think it was. He paired everybody up. He created a bracket and moved through, and there was one winner in the class. And then we had a final exam over all the stuff we had learned the first week, the rules and all that jazz. You could get an A in the class if you got an A on the final, and you could be the worst racquetball player. You could have gotten knocked out in the first round of the tournament and still get an A in the class. The guy who won the tournament could have gotten an F in the class if he didn't do well on the exam. For some of us, that's kind of how we see the Christian life. It doesn't really matter if you can play. It just matters if you do okay on the test. Maybe you said this. Maybe you've heard it. I'm thinking I've said it at some point. When you die and you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my presence? What are you going to say? And then you give some type of answer because Jesus is my Lord or because I prayed this prayer or something like that. But the picture there is that what God is looking for is the correct information. He's looking for the magic words, abracadabra, open sesame, whatever it is that lets me in. That's all I need to know. I just need to say the right things. I just need to be able to pass the racket. I don't have to be able, I don't have to be any good at racquetball. I just need to know the rules. That's wrong. I think it's in Revelation 19, maybe 20. 19, I think. It's a picture of the end of time, and there's this great white throne, God sitting on it, and it says, everybody standing in front of it. And he opens up books, and he looks at the books, and he judges people based on what they've done that was written in those books. And anyone whose name that wasn't written in the book of life, they're doomed. So there's this picture. There's not this idea that there's this long line We're all standing on clouds in this long line and Peter's got a little thing and you walk up in the gate. No. 
It's not about what you say. That's, that's listening without doing. That's faith without fruit. You've got to be able to play racquetball, not just pass the test. There is no test. There is no written exam. God's not looking for some doctrinal statement or some creed that you can say to say, see, I'm in. I know the right words. No. He's looking at what we've done. It's a completely different way of looking at things. When you see the words in the Bible, faith, have faith, believe, belief, know, knowledge, don't think school, don't think test, don't think brain. Those are not, that's not it. Those words in the Bible are not synonymous with thinking things. They're synonymous with trusting. Think practically trusting. That's what faith, knowledge, belief are biblically. They're relational words. They're experiential words. There's some cogn- there, there is a cognitive component, but it's one small piece of the pie. The thing is, are you trusting? If you're trusting, there's going to be fruit. If you're trusting, then you will be doing, not just listening. Second phrase. Do, so you do not deceive yourself. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. So the thing that James is saying here is, this is not, it's not semantics, it's not a technicality. What he's saying is, if you're a listener only, if all you do is hear the word but you don't do it, you're going to deceive yourself. About what? About your salvation. You're going to deceive yourself about your standing with God. You're going to think you're in. You're going to think that you're going to walk through the gate or whatever. That you're going to talk your way in or smooth your way in. Or you've got this, this thing that you're going to say that's going to get you in. That you're following and you're not. You're, you're going to think your name is written in this book of life. is not there. I don't know how more, much more plainly to say that. Listening without doing leads to deception about where you stand with the Lord. There's a guy, maybe 125 years ago, his name was the great Blondin, B-O-L-N-D-I-N. He was a French daredevil and acrobat. And he would tour around and do this stuff. They didn't have TV, they didn't have movies, so you went and watched these guys perform. And one of the things that he would do was he would stretch a tightrope across Niagara Falls and then he would walk back and forth across it and everybody oohed and awed. And then he would cook an omelet in the middle of the tightrope and blindfold himself, forward, backwards, the whole deal. He just he had a show that he put on. And one, one day he's doing this, he's doing his thing, and he's got the crowd, and everybody's amazed. So he, he takes a wheelbarrow, and he takes a wheelbarrow back and forth across this chasm on the tightrope. And then he puts a sack of potatoes in it, back and forth. Then he comes to the crowd, and he looks at somebody, and he says, you think I could put a man in this wheelbarrow and take them back and forth. And the guy's like, absolutely, I know you can. And Blondin says, well, get in. And the guy says, eh. For us, sometimes when we hear faith, belief, knowledge, we think it's, do you think Jesus can fill in the blank? And what Jesus says is, get in. If you're not in, you're out. Hear me? If you're not in the wheelbarrow, you're out. You're standing on the side. He's taking people across. He's not taking you across if you're not in the wheelbarrow. It's not just about what's in your brain. 
It's about whether you are practically, intentionally trusting Jesus. Not in some grand cosmic sense, but today. In practical decisions about your finances, your children, your job. All of those things. That's, that's, that's it. There should be fruit in those areas. If you truly have faith, if you're trusting, there will be fruit. And it will be fruit in the tangible, practical, not super spiritual, real areas of your life. If there's none of that, if you were to scan your life, and you were to say, I don't see any fruit there. I don't see any evidence that I'm trusting God. Then you're probably not trusting God you're probably listening and not doing. You have faith without fruit. You're not in the wheelbarrow. You're deceiving yourself. Sorry. You're deceiving yourself about where you stand. The thing is not to beat yourself up. It's to get in the wheelbarrow and let him push you across. Getting in the wheelbarrow, that's not for super Christians. That's not the gift of... It's nothing. It, this is off the shelf what it takes to get in faith. You're either in the wheelbarrow or you're not. This whole concept can get a little tricky because I, I don't want you to hear me saying you have to work for your salvation. We know that's not. Here are two verses. Maybe this will help. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Both of those verses are 100% true. But they, just on the face of it, they seem to pull in opposite directions. Well, we're saved by grace, and it's not us, and it's not works. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So you kind of get this, seems to be this paradox or something. They're, they're pulling away from each other. To me, what you've got is two ditches. There's a Matthew 7.21 ditch and there's an Ephesians 2.8.9 ditch. And you need to know which one you're going to fall into. For me, I fall into the Matthew 7.21 ditch. I minimize the grace of God and I overemphasize my responsibility and my activity. And I know I'm doing that when I get, if I get stressed out, if I don't take time off, if I say yes to everything and I'm unwilling to put any boundaries around my schedule or my life, then I know I've fallen into that ditch. If I'm, carry, I'm carrying a weight that's not mine to carry then I know I've fallen into that ditch and all I do is I have to repent and say, I'm sorry, I trust you. My problem is not getting in the wheelbarrow. My problem is I want to push it too. For some of you, your problem is you're still standing on the edge. You won't get in. You're leaning all on, you fall into the Ephesians 2, 8, 9 ditch. God will take care of it. 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 I can just sit here. I'm okay. At some point, you've got to get in the wheelbarrow. You have to take practical steps. Again, this, this, is nitty, this is not cosmic, what happens to me when I die. That you, that's when you die. You've got to live first. So what about today? What about tomorrow? What about next Thursday? Is there fruit from you practically trusting God with the decisions that come up? And if, if you're not in the wheelbarrow, then you've fallen into a, you've fallen into a ditch. It's just as bad as mine. I push instead of letting him push, and you don't do anything. 
You're not letting him take you anywhere. Both of those things. And you just need to know which ditch you're prone to falling into. If you don't know, ask someone who loves you. They'll, they'll tell you pretty quick. They will. They can see your blind spots, and they'll tell you which ditch you're prone to falling into. And so for all of us, what we need to do is just we've got to stay on the road. There's truth in both of them. Absolutely, we're saved by grace, 100%. Through faith, 100%. And Jesus says, you've got to do it, 100%. It's both. We hold both of those things together. It's not either or. There's not one better than the other. We hold them both together. They're both 100%. Both Matthew 7.21 and Ephesians 2.8.9 are 100% true at the same time for everybody. I just need to know which way I'm going to, which way I'm bent. And you need to know which way you're bent so you can correct that when it comes up. I'm not going to fall into the Ephesians 2.8.9 ditch at this point. I never have. I don't see that for me. But, so that's the way I have to intentionally lean. Even as I'm talking to you, I'm in, trying to intentionally lean towards this grace ditch so you don't hear me putting too much emphasis on what you have to do because that's the way I'm going to fall. That's the way I'm wired. And you might be the opposite. You just need to know that so you don't become a listener and not a doer. Last phrase, do what it says. Don't merely listen to the word and so de- deceive yourselves. Do what it says. My Bible's got... 1,048 pages. I don't know how many years has. 66 books. I don't know how many chapters. 1,188 chapters or something like that. There's a lot of stuff in here. A lot of commands. A lot of parables. A lot of wisdom. A lot of instruction. Do what it says. That's a pretty intimidating thing. How am I supposed to know what it says? I got it. By the time I've read one thing, I've forgotten what I read the day before. Sometimes it's, they seem to go contradictory, and some people say, well, this stuff doesn't apply anymore, and I don't know how it fits into my life. Do what it says, and it is 1,048 pages long. And I, tough. You can boil it down to six words. Love God, love people, make disciples. Jesus says, all of the law and the prophets can be summed up, two commands, love God and love people. And before he left, he said, this is what you guys need to be about, make disciples. That's it. That's what it says that we need to be doing. You can remember six words. You can make up a song or something if you need to. Love God, love people, make disciples. To love God, according to, I think it's 1 John five thirteen says, to love God is to obey him. That can sound like a little bit of a circle. Obeying God is loving God. Loving God is obeying him. The thing for us to focus on is loving people. I'll come right back to that. Make disciples just means helping people become as much like Jesus as possible before they die. That's it. The people in your life, you just you want to help them get better because you're in their life. That's making disciples. Helping them become who God wants them to be. Whether you have a small part or a big part. And that all depends on your relationship. Some people you got very little influence with, or other people you have massive influence with and just me whatever influence you have for however long you have it are you helping people get where where God wants them to go or not if you are you're making disciples if you're not you're not it doesn't mean every time you talk you've got to quote a scripture to them or pray or ask them what Jesus is doing in their life it doesn't mean that at all it's recognizing who you are recognizing again it's what we've been talking about the things God has given you you just give those away to the people in your life and you'll be fine Loving people, that's where we need to focus. That's where most of us 
need to nail down. We should be the best in the world at loving people, period, as Christians. We're connected to the God who says he is love, and we're commanded throughout the Bible to love other people. We ought to be the best at it. This is 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard this once or twice. Starting in verse 4. Love is patient. That means it takes a long time before fuming and breaking into flames. Love is kind. That means it renders gracious, well-disposed service to others. It does not envy. It does not boil with jealousy. It does not boast. It means it's not a windbag. It doesn't talk a lot and act presumptuously. It's not proud. It doesn't puff itself up like a pair of bellows. It's not rude. It doesn't do anything that's indecent or shameful. It's tactful and doesn't cause others to blush. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered or irritable or touchy. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't store up resentment. There are no scorecards. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always covers like a roof and always supports. It always trusts that the motives of others are pure. It always hopes that the motives of others are pure. It always perseveres. Love endures despite ingratitude, bad conduct, and problems that come with relationships. And it does so without complaining or becoming discouraged. And when the motives of others are found to be impure, love bears it without resentment. Love never fails. That's, that's it. You want to be a doer and not a hearer only. You want to be a doer, then do that. Begin to do that today in your relationships. And you'll be a doer and not a hearer. You'll have faith that produces fruit. You'll be in the wheelbarrow, whatever little picture you want to use. That's it. If you're not doing those things, you're, it's iffy for you. If you are, rock solid. You're in the wheelbarrow. You're, there's faith that produces fruit. You're a doer and not a hearer. I'm close with two questions. One, out of this list, you have to pick one. Will you put that, keep that up there, please, Alex? Out of this list, and you have to pick one, what do you do well? Even if you still think you stink at it, if it's the thing you stink at the least, pick one. And think practically about your relationships, not in general. I tend not to be proud. No, think specifically about your relationships. Now I want you to pick the one that you're the worst at. And again, think specifically in terms of your relationships, not in general. I'm not patient with my children, or I keep a record of wrongs with my boss, whatever that is. We're going to take communion. The thing... Uh, I was thinking about the last two songs that we sang. We sang this song about the holiness of God, and then we sang this song about coming close. And that can be an invitation for disaster. God's like the sun. And when he comes in close, we get burned. We, we can't stand in his presence. Not because he doesn't want us to, but because he's holy. He's different from us. And I, there's, there's no comparison. For that. I don't know any picture to paint other than it would be like you standing on the surface of the sun. You're not going to make it. And it's not just that you can't stand on the surface. You can't even get close. And neither can I. 
and neither can Billy Graham, and neither can Mother Teresa. Nobody can on their own. Can even get close. In the Old Testament, when um, God was giving Moses the law, he was up, they met on a mountain, and there was thunder, and there was lightning, and the mountain shook, and Moses said, hey, who wants to come up with me? And everybody said, not me. Nobody would go. They said, Moses, why don't you do it, and you tell us what God said. There's this, they recognized the holiness of God, and they knew, hey, I can't get close to that. As good as I think I am, I, I can't get near that. And so there's this picture, God is holy, and then yet we're saying, and his invitation is, come closer. And that's only possible because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He opened a door that we can walk through. You can stand on the surface of the sun. You can, as long as you're under the blood, the covering of Jesus. If you're standing in faith, trusting, not intellectually assenting to, but trusting that Jesus is the way. You're trusting in Jesus for your righteousness. You're trusting that it's because of him that you can come into the presence of the Lord. Then you're good. And you can say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and come in close. Otherwise you're sunk. And so am I. Communion opens the door for that. It reminds us of this door that has been opened. And so as we, if you're helping with that, if you go ahead and come up. As we take communion, what I want you to do, I want you to hold in one hand this thing about love that you, that you do well. And I want you to thank the Lord that you do that well. And I don't want you to, don't, don't be super spiritual about it. If you do it well, that's a grace God has given you, then you need to thank him for that. And don't, don't belittle it. Not everybody's patient. If you're patient, that's a gift from God, whatever that is. And I want you to thank him for that. And then this one that you don't, don't just stand right there, that'd be awesome. And then the one that you don't do well, the, the one where you're struggling, I want you, to, I want you to just to repent. I want you to say, God, I don't do this well. And you'll pro probably the reason you're thinking about it is because you blew it in the, recently in that area. You, you blew your stack or you did something that caused you to realize, you know what, I'm not, I'm not making it there. And I just want you to confess that to the Lord. And the Bible says if we can, what we confess to him, he's faithful and just to forgive. So confess that and then come forward and take communion. We're going to have ministry teams up here if you're helping with that, if you'd come up in these corners. James also says... James says that if we, if we confess our sins to one another, we can be healed. Or he says, it's a command, confess your sins to one another so that you'll be healed. So we want both of those things. You want to be forgiven, that's you and the Lord. But you also want to be healed. Most likely, the thing you stink at, you stink at every day. You don't just stink at it every now and again. It's your Achilles heel. You're not patient most of the time. Or, you're not, or you are rude most of the time. And the way to get free from that is to allow someone else to pray for you. And it can be a little humbling, but I, honestly, I think that's the point. When you humble yourself by saying, hey, this is where I'm struggling, it opens up another channel for God's grace to come. Also, I think it's in, no, it's in 1 Peter. God, gives great, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So when you say, this is who I am, to these guys who aren't going to tell anybody else, you're humbling yourself, and that gives God an opportunity to give you more grace. So you don't have to constantly fight those same battles 
over and over and over again. So I'm going to pray, and then Bo's going to lead us in worship. I'll help you walk through the Thanksgiving repenting thing, and then just come forward as you want to. Take communion, and my encouragement would be if there's an area where you're struggling, if there's something that's, again, kind of an Achilles heel off of that list, just go to one of these couples and let them pray that you can be healed from that, set free from that. Y'all can stand up. God, I do thank you that you've uh, made a way through your son. You are who you are, and you're holy, and we're not. And I thank you that you've made a way for us to be drawn close to you without it killing us. And so, God, we want to take advantage of the door that's been opened this morning. God, I thank you for the grace that you've given every person in this room. There's something on that list that everybody does well. Because you've given them the grace to do it. Not because they're great people, but because you're a great God who freely gives gifts. And God, we want to thank you for who you've made us to be. Just in your heart, thank him for those things on that, out of that description of love that you do well. It's just a, it's a matter of recognizing the grace he's given you, the gifts he's given you. And God, we also confess, that's tough. Always, we don't do anything always. Never. Those are, those are hard things for us to grasp. And so God, my prayer would be the areas where we're weak. God, if we make other people nervous because of what we're going to say, that's, they're going to blush, they're going to be embarrassed. God, if it's that we, we have a short temper in particular situations, whatever it is. Just in your heart, confess that to the Lord. And know if you just confess to the Lord, that sin's forgiven. You're free, you're clean, you're spotless. And you can take communion with a real freedom in your heart. And God, I also want to pray uh, just for people who are in the ditch. People like me who try to push the wheelbarrow instead of trusting you. God, I pray for us that we, we get back inside. God, that we would take our hands off and we would allow you to move us forward in your time and in your way. God, that we wouldn't worry and strive and all of those things. God, I pray for people who are scared to get in the wheelbarrow. Intellectually, they might say they trust you, but there's no fruit. They're still standing on the edge of the cliff. God, that you would show them practically what does it look like to get in the wheelbarrow. Even if it's a baby step, show them a baby step that they can take today to get in, to be doers and not hearers only. God, we want to do love well as a people. We don't just want to talk about love. We don't just want to hear love. We want to do it, and we want to do it well. So give us grace in that. I pray that you would come now, that you would work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.